0: Welcome to the Life Self Mastery podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit Malhotra, and I'm excited to have Dr. Som- Somadip Prakash, who's a co-founder and CEO of Mr. Wipe, uh, an award-winning sexual health company in the to- CEO of Mr. White, this is on publishing the boundaries on R&D, customer experience, and supporting the long-term goal of making sexual health an integral part of our uh, overall health. Welcome to the show, Sam. Thank you very much for having me, Rohit. Awesome. So, Sam, you, you have an interesting journey, uh, just like me. You know, you are, are from India and then you moved to UK. Uh, how did you get your start into into startups and what got you interested to, to build Mr. White?
1: Um yes, uh, very true. It's a, uh, you know, it's, it's been a long journey starting from my school where I started tinkering with uh, building computers back in the 90s, uh, to then studying electronics undergrad in India, then doing my PhD in UK, um, and always being passionate about building stuff, especially electronics. And then in UK, I I focused on biomedical biometrics and uh, working in that case with ophthalmologists, eye doctors and creating devices for eyes. Um, And and that actually became a startup, which is very much accidental. So that was my first brush with uh, startups and entrepreneurship. And that was a security startup worked on Iris recognition, worked uh, in defense and got acquired uh, eventually. And um, from there... Uh, I always wanted to build something again. Uh, I ended up incorporating between working in Deloitte, mostly in counterterrorism. And um, I wanted to get back to what I love and always loved since I was a teenager, is building electronics. And um, I also loved the medical side of it from my eye research. So I thought uh, I want to find out another medical device I can build which would uh, help people. And and that's how I ended up with uh, Mystery Vibe. Uh, and the goal for me uh, creating this company was, uh, how can I help people overcome big life events like childbirth, uh, menopause, uh, aging, uh, erectile dysfunction, and help them get reconnect with their partners, have intimacy, and bring that mystery back in the bedroom. Uh, and in this case, with the help of devices instead of medicines with side effects. So, you know, using devices to uh improve blood flow improve arousal improve erections, improve uh dryness uh reduce pain so so that's where uh we 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 that's how we started mr pipe
0: interesting and, and you, you mentioned uh you know you've done your know, phd in biomedical from university of bath you know that's uh and that's a, a that's a pretty renowned university how how was your experience you know starting a phd and do you think and uh, these times w- w- would you recommend people to do you know, go for a higher education, especially PhD and masters, or do you think people should, people can, you know, start working on the ideas, uh, and just build from there?
1: I, I do feel, um, it is, uh, it, it, both are the same. You know, if you're really passionate about a topic, you might end up starting a company in that topic. And if you're really passionate about a topic, you might end up doing a PhD on the topic. Um, and I feel my company is very similar in my experience to my PhD is you constantly learn and you have a lot of time to invest to get deeper and deeper and deeper into the topic and become the world expert at something specific. You know, by the end of whether it's a four year PhD or a 10 year company or a, you know, wh- however long you spend on that thing. It's the pursuit of depth. If that's what you care about, um, then a PhD. Uh, it, for me, it was absolutely the best years of my life. I I loved that I could, you know, sit at my office, uh research, or, you know, however long I wanted to, without any interruptions, without a deadline. You know, spend years on studying something without any exams like really immerse yourself into learning something and then applying it to building products which eventually is has real world applications so, so i i i am the kind of person who loves having time to go deep in 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 things and understand them which is why both having a phd and having a medical device company uh, makes me very happy um, because if I try to do a little bit of a lot of things, I would feel I am not learning anything well enough.
0: Interesting. You know, I, I really like that you mentioned about, you know, pursuit of learning something is more important than, you know, just uh, you know, giving exams or just scoring high marks. Uh, I think that's, that's so important in these times. Learning is, is so crucial. You can learn anything if you go really deep, which, which you've talked about. Um, you know, the, the sexual health and the wellness sector is so fragmented. Why, why do you think it's so fragmented and there's no one clear market leader when it comes to, you know, sexual health companies?
1: So the main reason sexual health and wellness is fragmented is a lot of it comes from, uh, commodity companies. And by that, I mean, um, especially in the devices segment, they tend to be uh, low cost and foreign made products, which are um, known as their product line. So when it comes to sex toys, they will be known as a bullet or a rabbit or a ring, but they won't be known as the brand um, so that is what flooded the market over the last say 20 30 years and um that's what majority of people see is um generic products yeah and that's why it seems very fragmented however if you look at the premium end where you have very high quality products there are less than Maybe 10 brands who really do that well globally. Um, and, and outside the devices segment, which is the wider sexual health segment, you'll have very big brands like Durex and Trojan and Skin and, and other, you know, like KY. So they are big brands who are multi-billion dollar brands. Um, but they don't do much in the devices segment. They do more on the condoms and lubricant segment. So um, it is coming up. There has been more investment in the segment. There has been more uh brands at the premium end of the segment. Um, there has been more consoli- consolidation. So I think it's a matter of time before we get more household brand names like T-Rex and Trojan, uh which is... You know where they would be the leading players, but at the moment, uh, majority of the products sit in the generic category.
0: Interesting. And uh, uh, and w- where do you see are the most uh, o- opportunities in this sector? Uh, I I feel,
1: well, but I'm biased. The biggest opportunities in health, in medical, in in a genuinely solving problems, genuinely uh researching again the depth you know going deep working on uh real world issues um whether it's pain whether it's uh, arousal uh, erection ejaculation um because in order to get to pleasure which is obviously the ultimate goal of sexual wellness you need to get over the pain and the arousal and the dryness you have to get over the barriers first before you even get to Having a nice intimacy and pleasure. So we focus on that is how do we improve your quality of life? How do we improve your, um, dryness or erection or reduce your pain? Because if we can do that effectively in a clinically proven way and in a very safe way, then we can help you get to that stage where you can enjoy yourself. And that's where the majority of the, um, market sits. Now is having pleasure, but to get to that, you need to overcome the barriers.
0: Uh, interesting, and you know, it looks like you really went deep into uh, into in, 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 into this market, and you created a company. But why was sexual health so important to you? And you know, why did you decide to go on to this particular market for sure? Um,
1: so when I was in my corporate job so after I finished my postdoc, uh, and I exited the last company, the main topic that came up uh, amongst my colleagues, my friends, was how do you keep a long-term relationship exciting, especially after you've had kids or work has a lot of stress uh, or, you know, surgery, recovery from something major like cancer, uh, or just normal aging, you know, menopause is inevitable after 50 um and then sometimes sooner, uh, erection issues are often start at 40. So these are all very much normal part of life. Um, yet, and this is obviously 10 years ago, long before we started, when we were talking about this, no one talked about it, at least not openly. And there did, didn't seem any solutions or, uh, even places where you could go and look for solutions. So what seemed like an extremely normal, and common issue um, seemed very uh, hidden and overlooked. So so I thought, okay, if I'm going to get back to building devices again, why not do something in a very, like, if, if I can do it well, then uh, we can significantly impact people's quality of life. Uh, like, just to give you an example, um, more than... 50% of men suffer from reaction issues at some point. And uh, more than 75% of women suffer from pain issues at some point. So it's very big numbers, very big um, areas where if we can even help a little bit. It helps a lot of people.
0: Correct. And uh, when you talk about users, are the users mostly uh men or do you think are uh, mostly women? So uh, no so I would say most of our users are couples
1: um, and and it tends to be equally men and women. The reason is what we are trying to solve is improving intimacy, particularly between couples um, because often where we come in is you know you have had something major and you want to recover from that and that could be pregnancy menopause um uh, surgery etc prostate cancer um and it tends to be couples who use our devices or benefit from our devices the most in order to have intercourse again um uh, which is not that much of a thing if you're single in terms of having intercourse with someone uh, regularly till you have a relationship so so t- it tends to be couples who are our main customers.
0: Got it. And when talking to your products, do you do you, do you get the products from China and get the R&D done here and, you know, ship it across the world? How does how do the uh, manufacturing of products and the research uh, really yeah. happen over there?
1: So we do everything in Surrey. So we have a huge R&D center in Guildford. And uh, so we do everything in-house from the research. So our chief medical offices, the head of King's College. Urology. Um, so we do all our medical research uh, in-house. Uh, we collaborate with doctors from US and UK. Uh, we do, we run our clinical studies in Europe. We uh, do all our concepting, prototyping, electronics, silicon, uh, everything in our labs in Surrey. So we have all the capabilities uh, in-house. And that's really our core strength is our technology. Um, and then we would build, say, the first 500 units in-house. And once we are 100% certain it's ready to go out, then we use our partner medical factory in Hong Kong to build uh, high volume. Uh, but till then, so from zero to, say, the first 500 units, we do everything in-house.
0: Oh interesting and and how many different products do you have or is it just one so we product have,
1: which? we have uh, three products at the moment which are in the market uh one focuses on pain and arousal the other one focuses on arousal particularly and the other one focuses on erection and we have three more products coming out one focuses on menopause and arousal uh, one focuses on prostate uh, particularly prostatitis another focuses on erection but in a compact form so, uh, so they're all different uh, FTA class two medical devices, and they all have um, specific applications.
0: To have an interesting stat for you to you denote know that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use LifeCellMaster. slash Social pilot to get a 14-day free trial. All right. and you know before the call, you you mentioned that you you know you based in London, but uh, but a lot of your sales team are based in the US. How how did you manage to you know run a company remotely? You know even before a remote was in fashion. How, how do you go about you know building building a building a company which is spread across the world and manage you know different people at different time zones?
1: Yeah, so I would say the uh, pre-COVID. I should travel a lot. Okay. <laughs> and that, that is the, uh, honest answer as to how we build it. So obviously, um, I'm in London. So, uh, part of our team is in London. Uh, is our, our R&D center. Our R&D team is there. So I, I go to our, uh, to Surrey at least twice a week. Um, and then prior to COVID, I used to go to US maybe twice a month. Um, or at least oh. once a month. So, so, yeah. um, and also it's not just one place or, uh, marketing is in New York. Our sales is in California. Uh, We have a team in uh, Florida. So it's not just uh, one place. So uh, that's why I used to go quite a lot. Um, But since COVID, uh, I think it's been very beneficial to learn, to adapt, and do a lot more via video calls. Uh, Because I'm an engineer, I'm very hands-on. That's why I've always been in person present for everything prior to COVID and and I always love that. You know, I, I want to sit in my lab. I want to go and meet my team in California. And for me, uh, because my background is consulting, so before starting this business I was in Detroit, and I used to travel every week. Um so I'm used to it. Uh it doesn't bother me at all that I get on a plane on so like a typical week would be I'll get on a plane on um Sunday evening um, which goes straight to LA I'd be in LA Monday morning um, I'd work there till say Thursday and then leave um, on Friday or maybe I'll work till Friday evening and then leave Friday evening and then come back here Saturday morning and then I would just have a normal day on Saturday here as if I was just working the day before in London so and I, I got used to that kind of traveling Um during my consulting year, so I kind of continued that in mystery vibe all the way till early twenty twenty and then um yeah, and then Covid made me rethink that uh and I'm really glad about that but obviously very unhappy about Covid uh but uh very glad yeah. that Covid made me realise that that you could do um you know quite a lot over video
0: calls. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I think a lot of, a uh, lot of consultants like to, like to travel, but, but especially for the salespeople, they, or, you know, when they want to, to sell uh, products, do you, do you also look at doing B2B sales or is it mostly B2C that you focus on?
1: It's mostly B2C for us now just because there's limited stock. Uh, we, we uh, always have more demand than we can meet, uh, because we're a small company and there's only that much we manufacture at a time. Um, but um, as we scale,
0: we will do more B two B. Okay, okay, interesting. And you know, I I also realize that you you uh you have you know great designs for for your products, and you've beaten uh Apple Watch at 2018 Design Week Awards. Uh, you know, how how do you make sure that you you always are able to create the the best of designs and and create those those sort of products? Is it mostly uh you know uh, when it comes to design, do you do? You, uh, is it a final final say from the founder, or do you let your team members, uh, you know, make make decisions and and look at reiterating it all the time? Uh, and it's, yeah, it, it's more.
1: Um, I would say when it comes to the product design, it's very much uh, feedback driven. So we mm-hmm. have uh, you know we have our own ideas, obviously, and. And then it's very much a collaborative process and everybody puts in their ideas and, you know, we try different things. But um where we really benefit is getting it into the hands of people much, much before we would ever finalize a product and then just getting feedback and seeing, you know, what they like, what they don't like. And, and often we as engineers do things that we think is very good, but the user doesn't. Um To give you an example of crescendo, our first product, uh, we made it with induction charging, which is wireless, and, you know, I like that because it's wireless and doesn't have any holes, but from a user perspective, it was quite difficult. They didn't know how to place it correctly, so it was charging. They didn't know, you know, how induction worked, and it never really took off widely, the whole induction uh, charging thing, and um they requested we use USB. Uh, we got so much feedback saying, can you make the charging USB, because that's what they know, and they love it, and it's easy. So as a, you know, team of uh, mechanical and electronics engineers, we were, you know, we were taken aback that we built something which was way more complicated than having a USB port. USB port is very easy. Um, and we thought it's going to make the user experience so much better because it's beautiful and seamless and no holes. And yet the users don't really want it. And, and then always be a, always let the users win, that's the ultimate truth. You know, if the users say that's better, then that is better. So uh in our next version of Crescendo, uh, which is Crescendo 2, we changed it, and now it's USB. Um And I'm sure customers will be so much happier with it, even though from a tech perspective, it's actually very basic and very simple.
0: Interesting. That's a, that's a very interesting customer side. And, uh, you know, when it comes to acquisition channels, how do we go about... Uh, how do you think about distribution? You know, a lot of engineers and a lot of product guys uh, think too deeply about pro- about product. But what were your acquisition channels when you wanted to penetrate into the market?
1: Um, we focus primarily on education. So if we can educate you on how our devices are going to help you, and if you think that's something you want, then you might buy it. Um, so our key channel is. Uh, content on third party sites. So content in newspapers, uh, either via organic or via paid, um, and then using that content to drive traffic to our site and then, uh, selling on our site. So that's our main channel.
0: Interesting. I, I love the content strategy. I, I'm a podcaster myself and I think it's not as expensive as say, uh, you know, running ads, but uh, but, in the long term, you know it really adds onto to the brand value and uh, I was wondering how how do you look at especially when it comes to physical products? how do you look at you know CAC to l t v ratio and you know the other metrics? What do you think is the most important metrics when it comes to uh a physical product like this
1: for a physical product um I think the best metric to start with is um, how um, so so the customer fault ratio um, before you scale anything. So what I mean by that is let's say you sell a thousand units, maybe one had a fault, then you know that that's your ratio, at least a thousand. Then you see if that scales to 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, 100,000. And that is, to me, the first thing to do when it comes to a physical product is understand what the fault level is. And obviously optimize it and reduce it before you scale, uh, because if uh, if you do it from a software perspective where you get a product out which is good but you know quite basic, and then you upgrade it later and you just focus on growth, it doesn't quite work. I mean, it does work in hardware if you have a lot of money and you want to keep sending replacements, but unless that's what you want. You know, you don't want to scale to a million units and have 50% failures. So um, I see it from a engineer's perspective. The first metric is how good the quality is to a certain extent. You know, maybe 10,000, 50,000, 100,000, whatever is the confidence level that you want. Once you're happy that you're under your, your fault rate is below a number that you're very happy to scale. Let's say it's 1% or 0.1% or whatever is the right number for you. Then you get to the next metrics and the next metrics definitely the, uh, cogs to actual order value, you know, not the RRP because RRP might be much higher than what you actually make. So you need, you know, 5X or more to have a really scalable business. So if your cost of manufacturing is $20, $20, you need to sell it for $100. Um, and, and that is a very, um, a very good starting point when it comes to a COGS to AOV ratio. And um, then the third metric is, yeah, that's the one you're talking about is CAC to LTV. That's absolutely correct. Um, but the reason I talk about the other two first is because if you have a good CAC and a good LTV, but your cost of production that the cost of goods is very high, then you'll never make a profit, right? And it's not something you can fix later unless it's just a pure scale thing. And scale does help to a certain extent, but often the scale that you need to get small increases is like 10x. You know, like you're selling 10,000, you need to sell 100,000, which is not as easy as improving CAC. So, as an engineer, I feel that the design needs to start as focus, with the focus of what's the cost of the product, what is the target retail price of the product that is reasonable for a consumer to want to buy it, and having that multiple, which allows for your R&D costs, your compliance costs, your marketing costs, your operational costs, and still have profit. Um, so, so, I would say, yeah, those three things are what, uh, we care about.
0: Interesting. You, you, talked about the cost of manufacturing. Less to it intently because I used to run a direct to consumer business. And uh, if I, I and to shut it down because, you know, I, I couldn't scale it up, but if I said I could go back, I would make sure it's the cost of manufacturing to the exact sales price. It should be, you know, four to five times of, uh, you know, difference. I think, uh, that's, that's a very valid uh, point you made. And, uh, you know in, in this space who, who do you think are your mo- most uh, who are who, who are your competitors are they based in US or you know they're spread across so um it depends
1: on how the consumer sees us if they see us as a pleasure product company the biggest company in that space would be Lelo the premium sex toy company uh, if they see us as a medical device company then the biggest player in in they're quite specific so in erection would probably be vibe erect. Um for uh, pelvic floor pain will probably be pelvic wand uh, but the thing is none of these companies are household names like we were talking about they're not brands that most people will be aware of and um, so really it is a blue ocean it's then goes back to the Question of marketing is if you educate the consumer and they learn that a solution exists and a solution can help them, then they'll buy it because they don't know any other solutions. So, so uh, to bring that to life, if you think of a headphone, which is the opposite spectrum, where there are lots of famous brands—Bose, Sony, Apple, Yamaha, loads—if you launch a new headphone, the first thing you, people will do is compare. With lots of household brand names, because people already know why they want to buy a headphone, they just need to buy the best one. Whereas in our case, it's the opposite. No household brand names exist. The challenge we so to challenge headphones company don't have is convincing someone that they need a headphone. Right? People already know they want to buy a nice headphone. The challenge we have is convincing someone they need a device for as for a solution to you know something. Um, and that 's the education piece we have to do, but the challenge we don't have is then there 's no five or ten household brand names that they will compare if they get a solution and they and we give them the solution that 's the one they will accept and use uh, because there just isn 't enough out there so So one of the biggest things you know we do as a company is trying to help other companies or encourage other companies, other people to start businesses in sexual wellness and health because it just isn't enough um in the space and we want more people uh so it's not really competitive uh like all the brands you know i would be very happy to help with and work with because anyone educating the consumer is helping everyone because if they buy a product let's say we educate the customer and they buy a crescendo and they really benefit from it they're going to go look for other products
0: mailman is a email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions, and making your days calmer and more productive, you can visit MailmanHQ.com and use the code LSM uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit MailmanHQ.com and use the code LSM. Got it. Yeah, no, absolutely, totally, totally makes sense. And uh, uh, you know, when it comes to sexual health, you know, it's such a such a taboo topic at times. Uh, how did you go about, you know, raising funds? You you you've done it, you know, over six f- funding rounds. What what was what was some of the ways on how you were able to raise funds for a for a very non typical product like yours?
1: Um. So I raised money uh, from angel investors, over a hundred angel investors, mostly in the UK, and um. And the way was it's simply in talking about the problem we're trying to solve and if they related to it, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, they had a kid and they were, had pain and how did they get over it? And if they didn't, you know, do they want to learn about it? Um, they, they're older and they had menopause and how did that affect them? Uh, or, you know, in the male side direction. So it's very much our investors are people who understand and relate to the problems we're trying to solve. And they also understand that a medical device company is a very long investment because it takes, you know, 10 years to build it uh, to a point where it's clinically proven, FDA registered um, on medical payment uh, with uh you know, a sufficient user group who has tried and tested and doctors saying it works well. Um, and in many cases, it wouldn't work. So that that's the kind of investor you need. We're very patient, but genuinely believe that if it works, you know, in that time frame, then it's not just a big return on their investment, which is obviously an important element, but more importantly, it will help them and lots of other people on overcoming problems that they care deeply about.
0: Got it. And, uh, you know, you, you raised a, a big series a last year. Uh, uh, where do you look at investing, uh, your, your funds, uh, for, for future growth?
1: So we spend most of our time and funds on R&D because that's really who we are as a core is research devices, um, re- Get feedback from doctors and patients, run studies, uh, you know, go through regulatory approval, go through compliance, um, run deeper studies. So, so the two levels are core studies and trials, um, and then get it out there, uh, in terms of content and marketing. So we spent most of our time and money on R&D on innovation, um, and really getting deep into the tech uh, and the user experience and then for uh, marketing we go direct to consumer and till date we have been uh our sales have been higher than our uh stock so the demand far exceeds supply so we know that um where we are we have, if we invest enough time and money and resources into our product and make them exceptionally good both from our efficacy that actually helps people improve pain by five times you know improve reaction by two times those are our clinical results, and at the same time, they are very beautiful and user friendly not scary and clinical then when we reach that point, we are ready to scale we have built that the platform that either excellent investment from a Big institution or a corporate can scale that very quickly. So, so we focus more on building for scale and then scaling to a certain extent ourselves. So say to the hundred thousand user level, but we don't yet work on the millions because we want to be very um, solid in terms of a foundation. So when we do Turn the lever and scale marketing, which is basically a matter of spending money. Then we have the right quality, the, all the right compliances, the right uh, efficacy, the minimal returns and falls, and it scales very smoothly.
0: Interesting. And, uh, you know, I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book?
1: Shoe Dog, um, by, uh, Knight Bill Knight, the uh, the the uh, Nike founder, because it is the most real book I have read as a hardware founder, and I believe every hardware founder should read it before they start their company because it's so hard. And uh, I mean, starting companies hard, starting a hardware company is even harder. Starting a medical hardware companies. Even hardware and starting a medical hardware company in sexual health is really hard. So, um, you know, I mean, that book, I sadly read it or, or happily read it much, much bef- after I had started the company, because I think I wouldn't have started the company if I had read the book, <laughs> but it is so true. And, and, and for hardware, it is really uh, about perseverance and, and being tenacious. Um, uh, I think. You know, if you think you can build a hardware company in a couple of years, it's just you're wasting your time. You need a long time to really build hardware properly.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I love that book. I'll put that in the show notes. And yeah, if you could go back in time when you started, uh Mr. White, what is one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently?
1: I'd give myself more time for anything. I estimated. I I have always needed maybe fifty to hundred percent more to do what I thought. I would need less time to do. So if I thought, oh, you know, I can get this product ready in a year, probably take two years, three years even. Um, and, and that's the biggest lesson I learned is you cannot rush medical hardware. You might be able to write hardware to a certain extent, but you cannot rush medical hardware. It just, you know, your credibility is everything. And, and there's simply no point releasing a product which doesn't, which doesn't work.
0: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree on that. And well, what's your favorite online tool, for example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom?
1: Um, that is a very good question. What is my favorite online tool? Um, I don't want to say Zoom or Teams because I do feel... Like I need to meet more people in person and get back to more of my pre-COVID life where I was very much, uh, face to face and I did not, I hardly ever did any video calls. Um, it is obviously very effective and I, um, you know, I value it, but I feel like I shouldn't even say that it's a, you know, it's my favorite tool. Um, I guess my favorite tool is, um, chrome to find you know and read good content um you know i spend a lot of my time on chrome uh, which is basically you know a browser but then i just end up on chrome browsing researching reading stuff finding new content to study and understand and um yeah i don't know what i would do without chrome finding things chrome and google yeah
0: Correct, yeah, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, and some what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about Mystery Vibe?
1: Uh So everything is on mysteryvibe.com. all our content, all our products. Uh, and if anyone wants to reach out, have a chat, uh, my email is som at mysteryvibe.com. so S-O-U-M at mysteryvibe.com.
0: Got it, we'll put that in the show notes. Sam, awesome. thank you so much f- uh, for taking your time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Thank you for having me.